0: The Gospel lesson for the 11th Sunday after Pentecost comes from the Gospel according to Luke, chapter 13, verses 22 through 30. You can find it on page 738 of the Pew Bible. In this Gospel lesson, Jesus reveals how exclusive the kingdom of God is, but also how inclusive it is. So please stand as you are able for the Gospel from Luke 13, beginning at verse 22, where we read, in Jesus' name. He, that is Jesus, went on his way through towns and villages, teaching and journeying toward Jerusalem. And someone said to him, Lord, will those who are saved be few? And he said to them, Strive to enter through the narrow door, for many, I tell you, will seek to enter and will not be able. When once the master of the house has risen and shut the door, And you begin to stand outside and to knock at the door, saying, Lord, open to us. Then he will answer you, I do not know where you come from. Then you will begin to say, we ate and drank in your presence, and you taught in our streets. But he will say, I tell you, I do not know where you come from. Depart from me, all you workers of evil. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth, When you see Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom of God, but you yourselves cast out. And people will come from east and west and from north and south and recline at table in the kingdom of God. And behold, some are last who will be first, and some are first who will be last. Father, these are your words. Sanctify us in the truth. Your word is truth. Amen. You may be seated. Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. Will those who are saved be few? Have you ever wondered about that? There are 7.5 billion people in the world, 327 million in the United States, 57,000 in Grand Forks, about 180 or so in this congregation, and one in your seat, how many of those people will be saved? Will those who are saved be few? Someone asked Jesus this question, and the answer seems to be yes, but that's not quite how Jesus answers the question. Yes is, I suppose, the correct answer, but it's not the best answer. Jesus gives the best answer, and it's this. Strive to enter through the narrow door, for many will seek to enter and will not be able. Do you see what Jesus is doing? He's taking a a theoretical question that has to do with all those other people, and he's making it real and personal. He takes a question about the 7.5 billion people in the world, and he makes it about you. This person asks Jesus a question in the third person. If you're not a grammar nerd, I'll briefly explain what that means, and don't worry, this won't hurt. Pronouns, those are words like I, me, my, you, he, she, it, they, those, them, are categorized into three groups. Whenever you talk about yourself, when you use the words me, myself, and I, You're talking in the first person. It's a conversation that really only needs one person, the person who's talking. So we call these first-person pronouns. And if you use first-person pronouns a lot, you might be a narcissist. When you add in a second person, however, you start using words like you and your and yours. A conversation with these pronouns requires a second person, someone you to, someone for you to talk to, right? And so we call these second person pronouns. And if you use a lot of second person pronouns, you might be a very caring individual. But then if you get bored about talking about yourself and the person you're talking to, you need a third person to talk to. So you, you use words like he and she and them and those. And whenever you talk about Other people who are neither you nor the person that you're talking to, you use these third person pronouns. It's the person over there. And this is the least personal category. If you use third person pronouns a lot, I suppose you might be something of a gossip. But that kind of depends on whether you're saying good things or bad things, right? Anyway, all that to say, this person asks Jesus a question in the third person. What about? all those other people? Will those who are saved be few? But Jesus doesn't want to talk about them. And so he turns it into a second-person conversation. Strive to enter through the narrow door. Or we could even translate it, you strive to enter through the narrow door. Jesus doesn't want to talk about all those other people. Jesus wants to talk about you. And so don't think of this sermon as being for all those other people. Don't think of it as being for people who aren't even here. Don't think of it as being for the person in the pew on the other side of the church. Don't even think of it as being a sermon for the person sitting right next to you. This sermon is for you. Now, yes, there are other people here, too, and they're going to hear this, too, okay? But they're really just here to make it less intimidating for me to say to you what needs to be said to you. You strive to enter through the narrow door. For many will seek to enter and will not be able. Now, the questioner is right. Those who are saved will be few. But what do we do with this information? Apparently, on the last day, there will be many who think they should be admitted into the kingdom of God, but will be denied. The number of people who think they should be in heaven is greater than the number of people who actually will be. Many will be surprised on on the last day. And this should cause each and every one of us to consider our own hearts. Will I be one who reclines at table in the kingdom of God? Or will I be one of those standing outside yelling unfair? In the parable, those who are shut out are greatly surprised. The master of the house says, I do not know where you come from. And they're they're like, what are you talking about? We're from here. They say, we ate and drank in your presence. You taught in our streets. But the master of the house says again, I tell you, I do not know where you are from. Depart from me, all you workers of evil. In the historical context of the parable, these people represent Jews who were around Jesus but did not believe in him. Maybe they knew Jesus personally. They might have been on a first-name basis with him. They may have talked with him. They may have eaten a meal with him. They may have listened to his teaching, but they did not believe in him. They were not convinced about the whole Son of God and Messiah thing. I suppose they didn't think they really needed to believe it. Their thought process would have gone something like this. I don't know if this Jesus guy really is who he says he is. Maybe he's the Messiah, maybe he's not. But you know, if he is the Messiah, he's the Messiah of Israel. And I'm an Israelite, so I'm good either way. But on the last day, when the door is shut, they find that the Messiah of Israel did not know where they were from. Apparently, they were not from his Israel. Now, of course, many Jews did believe, they were the first Christians but those who disbelieved will be cast out. Meanwhile, all these other people from east and west and from north and south enter through the narrow door and recline at table in the kingdom of God. The Messiah of Israel welcomes these Gentiles as Israelites because they entered through the narrow door by faith in Jesus. But the Jews who disbelieved are excluded. Jesus says, I do not know where you are from. He does not consider them to really have been true Israelites. Now, this concept of Gentiles being uh, considered Israelites is nothing new. It's what Isaiah prophesied in the Old Testament lesson. They shall declare my glory among the the gentiles and they shall bring all your brothers from all the gentiles as an offering to the Lord and some of them also I will take for priests and for levites says the Lord now this would have been a shocking thing to the Jews that God would make priests and levites out of gentiles but God does this because they enter through the narrow door by faith in Jesus but what is even more, uh, what's even more surprising for unbelieving Jews is when they are shut out of the kingdom of God because of their unbelief. And so they do what anyone would do. They argue their case. And this is kind of funny. They don't say, oh, you're right. We should have believed in you. Now we believe. Please forgive us. No one does that. Instead, they argue their case. They argued that, based on their proximity to Jesus, they should be allowed in. They're standing at the door crying, unfair. And this is what it will be like on the last day. Now when I imagine the scene on the last day, when many are cast out like this, I used to imagine that all of them will be trying to repent as if they finally realize their error, but it's too late to fix it. But based on this parable and other parables and teachings of Jesus, we see that unbelievers will continue to be unbelievers. My imagination was wrong. My imagination painted God as a ruthless judge who condemns all these people on the technicality that their repentance is 20 seconds too late. But my imagination was wrong. That is not how it will be the unrepentant will continue to be unrepentant. What we will see is unbelievers arguing for entrance into the kingdom of God on the basis of anything but Jesus' blood. They will say, but I'm an Israelite. Or, I went to church every Sunday. Or they will say, but I was a good person, better than most. Or they'll say, but I just followed a different God, and I followed him really well. That has to count for something. They will argue that they deserve to be there. No one deserves to be there. Thinking that we deserve God's kindness is just unbelief. And it might be the worst kind of unbelief. Unbelievers in life will continue to be unbelievers in death. And so instead of trying to repent, they stand at the door shouting, unfair. But... Remember, this isn't about everyone else. This is about you. So the point is this. Will you be one standing at the door shouting unfair? Will you be the one saying, but I did everything I was supposed to. I went to church. I brought food to the potluck. I paid my taxes. I voted the right way. I mowed my lawn every week. I never double parked. I was better than average. You have to let me in. But Jesus will answer, I never knew you. That's what this is really about. It's about knowing Jesus. Or, to be a little bit more precise, it's about Jesus knowing you. It's about your name being written in his book. And this is faith. Faith is simply dependence on Jesus for salvation. Entering through the narrow door means entering through Jesus Christ. He is our door. He is the entrance. He is our access to the Father. The straight and narrow, you ever hear that phrase? The straight and narrow is not really about good works. The straight and narrow is Jesus. He is the one who walked that path of God perfectly who was obedient even to the point of death, so that he might open the door to us. And so he is the narrow door. No one enters except by him, but all who enter by him find forgiveness, life, and salvation. The kingdom of God sounds very exclusive, and I suppose it is. It is extremely exclusive. The door is, is narrow. It is as narrow as one man. But it is also as inclusive as anything ever has been. It is both extremely exclusive and infinitely inclusive at the same time. It's exclusive in the sense that there is only one way in. But it is infinitely inclusive because this narrow door is open to all. And we see both sides of this paradox in this text. We see the narrow door. But we also see many from east and west and from north and south entering through the narrow door to recline at table in the kingdom of God. The door is narrow, but God's mercy is wide enough for the entire world. So is God is God unloving? to make it so exclusive? No, not at all. God is infinitely loving because he has made a way for all to enter and he has opened this door at the expense of his own blood. Imagine a great building that you want to get into. So someone says, the door is right here. But you look at the door, it's kind of narrow, it has blood on it, that's kind of weird. And you don't want anyone to tell you how to get in. So you say, no, I think there's another door over there. So you go and you push against the wall, hoping there's going to be a door there. When that doesn't work, you walk around to the other side of the building, and you feel along the wall for a secret door. Then you walk around the yard, tapping on the trees. If one of them is empty, it might be a secret tunnel in Someone says again to you, the door is right there. You call that person judgmental, and you resolve to never use their narrow door. You get a can of paint, and you paint your own door on the side of the wall. You push, and it doesn't open. So you get a good running start, and you try to crash through the side of the building. This goes badly. You destroy yourself trying to find your own way in. Is the building exclusive? I suppose because there's only one door. But it is also inclusive because this door is open to everyone and multiple people are inviting you to come in. And so remember the two sides of this coin. If you expect the door to be wide, you won't make it. Or if you expect the door to be somewhere else, if you expect the door to be your own righteousness or one of the false gods, you will not enter through that fake door. There is only one door. It is as narrow as one man. But remember the other side of it too. That door is open to all, and no one who enters by that door will ever be put to shame. So strive to enter through the narrow door. What does that mean? It simply means fix your eyes on Jesus. Never take your focus off of Christ. There are so many things that compete for our attention. Some of those things might even be good. But if they take your focus off of Christ, they are bad for you. The devil is happy with anything that takes our eyes off of Jesus. So fix your eyes on the narrow door. Go ahead and do the things that are good but never take your focus off of Christ. Fix your eyes on the one who was crucified and raised from the dead for you. God has made a door through his son, Jesus Christ, and he has opened it to all who believe in Christ. This door was opened by Jesus' death, resurrection, and ascension into heaven. He sacrificed himself For the sins of the world. And that means he sacrificed himself for you. You're part of the world. He rose from the dead. And he did this for you too. That you might also be raised with him. And he has ascended into heaven. Opening a door for all who trust in him. Will those who are saved be few? Many will seek to enter and not be able. But all who trust in Jesus Christ will enter through the narrow door. Enter through the narrow door and be saved. Amen. And may the peace of God, which passes all understanding, guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen.